Welcome to the Personal Growth Show. This is a podcast where we discuss our personal journeys of growth towards becoming the best versions of ourselves. Listen up as we discuss our personal and professional struggles that many face on a daily basis and how we have been able to overcome them. We will share practical solutions and tips which have helped us and some which haven't. But most importantly, how everyday people like us with nine to five jobs and families can do it too. Join us on this candid journey and let's grow together. Here are your hosts, Clinton and Fed. This week on the Personal Growth Show, we are bringing you Lawrence Bull. If you don't know Lawrence, you are in for a treat today. Lawrence is an international property investor, entrepreneur, inspirational speaker, and owner of four businesses. He's also a distinguished Toastmaster, which is the highest achievement in Toastmasters. When Lawrence is not coaching others to greatness, starting businesses and writing books, he can be found traveling the world with only his backpack. Perhaps the most impressive thing is that Lawrence has managed to do all of this before the age of 30. Lawrence, welcome to the Personal Growth Show. Thanks so much, Clinton. That was a, a great way to intro me. I think I'm going to write that down and use that in future. Great work. Thanks, man. <laughs> well, you know what? It, I think I've just skimmed the surface of all your achievements. I know we are really looking forward to getting into the detail behind uh, Lawrence Bull mm. and uh, where, what's kind of brought you um, to this point. We're super excited, Fed and myself, to have you on the podcast today. Lawrence, so welcome. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks. And thanks everybody for joining and listening in. Uh, hopefully we can be of some value to you guys today. Great. Um, so, so Fed, uh, I know we, um, uh, we've got a couple, of, a couple of things that we wanted to ask Lawrence. Uh, so how, how do you want to kick this thing off? Correct. So I think we've got some really great questions to, to get through, but uh, perhaps Lawrence can just give the listeners a little bit of an introduction and background to, to himself dig a little bit deeper into that and then we can get into it. Awesome. Yeah, cool. Uh, so, uh, I was born a baby, um, let's start there. Uh, I grew up in Pretoria and I was conditioned from a very young age, uh, by peers, family, friends to follow the system, right? To get a good job, get a good degree, work until I'm 65, retire happily. And, uh, yeah, everything was going quite well. I studied computer science at the university of Pretoria, got my degree and I started working for dimension data, um, which is quite a big it company. And three years into working there, I was retrenched slash fired, probably more fired than, than retrenched. Uh, and, um, and it made me realize that the system that had been promoted by my family, my friends, my peers, is not a system that everybody has to follow. And it's maybe not a system of the future. It's, a, it's, it's, it's in my opinion, a bit of an outdated system. Um, so after that, I was exposed and, and went out to a whole bunch of different growth seminars. I went to like a Tony Robbins seminar, a JT Fox. I went to a Robert Kiyosaki seminar and uh, eventually I got exposed to the property game. Um, got myself a property coach and started investing in property to build that passive income stream, um, which gave me a bit of protection. I didn't have just one income stream to rely on anymore. And then as I got a bit better at property, I had more time. I started then focusing on building a consulting or coaching business and uh, started writing as well and found uh, a great passion in being an author. And my dream one day is to write a book that becomes a movie. So yeah, that's my story in two minutes or less. That's awesome. And um, you know, it's, it's amazing to 
be able to find and speak with um, you who I think is definitely aligned to our way of um, thinking mm. and, um, and being in it. And it's amazing, you know, the more that we uh, speak to people to see how many more are out there to, to, who really think about like, you know, the traditional systems and how, um, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. And it's definitely mm. in my perspective as well, not uh, the way of the future. My, my, my first question to you, though, which I, I was quite interested because of the whole um, property investing side of things, um, and, and for you to be so young and getting into that space as an investor, how, how did you take the first steps, aside from uh, attending the seminars, you know, how did you sort of get started in, in, in the property as an investor? Yeah, so, so after going on the seminar and getting a, getting a property coach, essentially my first year, year and a half, um, I was about 23 at the time, it was just about getting exposed to as much knowledge as possible. Uh, I think the challenge with property is it's a really expensive asset. So if you make a mistake, it tends to be an expensive one or a, you know, a big one. So for me, the first year and a half, it was just about spending time with the right people, going to networking events, getting educated, you know, analyzing deals. Um, and then I got started with a flip, which is when you buy a property at a discount, you force the value of the property to go up by, you know, renovating it or, you know, adding some sort of value. And I sold it for premium price, making a, about a hundred, 120,000 Rand profit. Um, and then I reinvested that into a rental property and slowly, but surely you start to build up a portfolio where you're flipping on one hand, building capital and then reinvesting for the passive income in rental opportunities. I mean, obviously, you know, there's a whole um, strategy and, and space in that. But if you were to give someone like early on in their um, journey inside of uh, investing in properties, mm. what would these like some of the advice that you would give? Is it um, like you did getting um, a property investment coach, going to seminars? In, in like 2020, especially in the kind of times that we are now, what would you be saying to someone who says, you know, I want to get into property as an investment? Um, well, I mean, we're obviously in very strange times now with COVID. Um, but there are a lot of online seminars now and online coaches. And I, I don't know, I, I'm a big believer of education. I'm a big believer that if you want to get something done, go find someone who's done it before, learn from them. You want the best body, go to the personal trainer. You want to know how to run the best podcast in the world, go to Clinton and Fed. You know, that's, that's the way that I uh, would, would see things. Uh, for people who want to get into property now, I would say go look at student accommodation. Um, you know, I think that's where the biggest demand and opportunity in South Africa currently is. Um, I've also got a, a YouTube channel where I post, I don't know, 10 videos uh, a week, uh, free videos about property education. So it's not that you have to even pay for education, but I would say the starting point, get educated. Yeah, uh, Clint, that's what I was going to ask you because um, I know that um, you've worked with Lawrence in terms of this space. So tell us a little bit about that then. Yeah, absolutely. I think I would have to agree with uh, Lawrence there because when you're first starting out, I mean, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and you, you need to, you need to approach people that have been doing this for, for a long time, people that have already, uh, you know, got the experience under their belt, uh, they've made the mistakes and you can learn from that experience. And I think that's, that's absolutely the key thing is, is to work with a, uh, an individual that has been in this space. Um, and I, and I suppose that's something that works across all spheres, um, of, 
anything that you want to do, but absolutely with property because it's such a big investment. Um, you don't want to be making it uh, a, a mistake that's going to cost you a substantial amount of money. So you want to learn from those that have, that have run the course um, and, and, and actually um, you know, improve and, and, and kind of make investments uh, based on some coaching and some guidance that, uh, that, that you take upon uh, through that coaching and uh, you know, that coaching relationship. Um, and I would have to say, I think the, the, the videos on Lawrence's YouTube channel are absolutely uh, great. They're short little snippets, and I think it's, it's very action-packed. Um, and, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's little bits of information that I think can really help uh, you. And, and, again, you know, as Lawrence mentioned, it's free. So go on and check it out. So I suppose we could, uh, we could drop the, the name of the YouTube channel now, but uh, we'll also have an opportunity to, to, to you know, Find out where we can reach out to Lawrence uh, later on towards the end of the show. Clint, so, I mean, definitely then the value, of course, is on having a coach who's helping you and guiding you and helping you sort of um, reduce the number of mistakes and cutting down the time that it would take you normally otherwise going through like learning from scratch, right? As you said, like not knowing what you don't know is kind of like one of the biggest challenges and possibly also one of the stumbling blocks or things that um, stop people from taking action right because it's almost like that fear of making that big mistake because as Lawrence mentioned mm. it could be a very costly mistake yeah and, and and I think that's so key because you know when I, I when I when I got started in the property game um, it was it was that initial inertia and I think just just putting the question to Lawrence you know with that procrastination and, and actually not doing anything what do you think is going to help people just get past that and take action? Because that ultimately is, is what stops a lot of people from just getting, you know, just getting into it. Um, and I suppose the fear is, is, is what is, is due to a lot of that inertia. Hmm. I think the, the, the mindset that I've always taken is that every mistake has been done that can be made. You know, someone out there has made every single mistake in property before and they've gotten through it. So surely there's somebody out there with the answers. I mean, if you're looking at like an eviction, a bad eviction is something that scares me and a lot of investors, but it's also a very common thing that most investors have gone through. Someone like a Robert Kiyosaki, who's written all those books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and has invested in property for, million, for many years, he's made every mistake. So I think when people are fearful, it's because they are not knowing what's coming. You know, it's that, it's that unknown. Once you've done an eviction and you know the process, the next eviction becomes easier and so forth and so on. The scary and the fear comes from not knowing what to expect. And I believe that you're confident when you've got the knowledge of what to do, where to do it, how to do it, who to contact. When you've got all those different pieces, you, won't, you might be fearful, but you won't be fearful to the point where you are inacting or unable to act. Mm. I think you get to that level of procrastination when, yeah, you just, your fear is greater than your confidence that you can conquer whatever it is that you're facing. And what was it that, I mean, initially uh, you helped you drive past that fear? Um, I, I know you got a coach, but what was it that actually made you get into property? Was it uh, out of necessity or, uh, you know, was it something that you just see the potential of a huge upside? What mm. actually drove you to get into property uh, back after you know, your, uh, your four years in corporates and then you got retrenched. Yeah, I think, so, so my biggest fear was 
how am I going to raise the money? That was my biggest fear when I started out is how is someone going to loan a 23-year-old money? I, I mean, like I just couldn't get past that. Um, and there were three things that drove me past that fear. The one was obviously um, I didn't have an income. Right? I'd lost my job with Dimension Data and it was partly necessity. You know, When you have to put food on the table, it's easier to go through procrastination. Uh, number two was definitely the vision of a better future. You know, Being able to travel, not being uh, stuck to one job, not feeling like a, like a slave to a corporate who was underpaying me or whatever. And then the third and the final reason, and this was just something that personally works for me, is I wanted to prove everyone wrong. Um, I wanted to prove my mom and my dad who thought I was crazy for leaving my job. I wanted to prove them wrong. I wanted to prove my teachers wrong who said I wouldn't amount to much. I wanted to prove all the people that had bullied me and given me a hard time. Um, I wanted to prove everybody that, that's posted on my Facebook um, page where I share inspirational quotes, people saying nasty things like, you know, who would ever listen to someone like you? I wanted to prove them wrong. And that for me was something that was such a, it was such a burning desire that, that, I mean, I couldn't, I woke up and I wanted to do property because I wanted to prove people wrong. And that was something that, that worked really well for me. Um, what about you, Clinton? You've, you've also obviously dealt with procrastination at times, but you've done now your, your first property deal. Um, what was it that inspired you to take that action? I, th I think for me, it's, it was around financial freedom. And, and, and looking for how, ways and how I can do that. Uh, what I realized, you know, having worked now for uh, 13 odd years in, um, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a specific industry, I know that if I want to achieve the things that I want to for my family and to be able to provide for them, I want my kids to go to the best school. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I've got those, that vision in my head. Um, and being able to do that through a nine to five was just not... Uh, was not something that was going to help me get there. So it was out of a need to look at the bigger picture and say to myself, what areas can I look at in order to help do that and get to that vision? How can I, how can I take steps? And that's still, it's still a driver. It's still a driver for me. I know the best way to create long-term wealth is through property. Um, and it's a proven, uh, it's a proven method of 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 long-term prosperity um property appreciates and value uh, so after doing my research i just realized that it was something that i needed to get into and i think what helped me as well was i had a uh, my wife that that is on this journey with me as well and we very much aligned in terms of our vision and our goals um so that definitely makes a massive difference i think it would have made it um harder if i if i didn't have uh, her to actually be on this path with me 100 percent, yeah but I think just, just going back to what drove you initially um, into getting into property and overcoming that initial inertia and actually just making, making, the, uh, making the move into it, is that still what drives you now having achieved, you know, after quite a few years, um, having no. achieved much success? No, I've proved, I think I've proven now myself. Um, so it's not, you know, I think ego is such a beautiful thing because we all have it. If you try and avoid the ego, you know, unless you're a Buddhist monk who can spend the whole day meditating, you're not going to conquer the ego, but you can use the ego in a way to drive things for you. And I've got a very big ego. And one of my, you know, one of my egos back in the day was proving people wrong. Uh, now I've got a slightly different vision in mind. Um, 
I really want to write a book that, uh, as I mentioned, that becomes a movie. Um, and Will Smith must then be the, the main actor of that, uh, of whatever character I write, um, so that I can meet him. And, um, and I want to, I want to, I want to make a legacy. I want to make a change. I want to empower people. And I want to be that icon and that, um, I guess that inspiration for the creatives in, in the world to say, um, you can follow your dream of being a writer, a painter, a musician, you know, and you can find other ways to make money. You can find other ways to look after your, 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 your financial requirements, but still follow your passion and your dreams. Because when I was at school, I never had a chance to do music or dance or writing. Uh, you know, there were some subjects there, but no one ever like pushed me to it. It was always go do accounting, do IT, do science, do geography, do history, do maths. That's what's going to get you a good career, a good job, live happily, retire happily. And, and I just feel like there's such an emphasis on IQ that we forget about EQ. We forget about creativity. We forget about your know, passion. Like most people in their jobs aren't passionate necessarily about what they do. And yet we invest 60, 70% of our time into that. So I think my, my new driver is not to prove people wrong, but more um, to focus on my passion of being a writer and hopefully be an inspiration for others to, to follow their passion, even if it's not a financially good decision, because you can use other me mechanisms to make money. I think that's a great answer. Oh. It really is. And, so, and uh, I think it's, it's absolutely critical to follow that to follow what's in your heart. What are you passionate about? Because that's what's going to drive you when, when things get tough. Mm. And I'm sure in your journey over the last, um, you know, over the last few years, you've, you've hit quite a few uh, hurdles and you've, or, or you've, you've gone through quite a few stumbling blocks. You know, what is, what is the biggest challenge or one of the biggest challenges that you've had to, have to overcome um, since, you've, since you've gone in this journey as an entrepreneur um, and, and uh, you know, having started all of these businesses? Uh, there were lots of challenges. Uh, I would say probably the, the people, um, you know, when I first started, my dad was very disappointed. Um, you know, I'd, I'd gone from a safe corporate job, exactly what he had envisioned to taking a risk and starting my own business. So he wasn't supportive and uh, quite disappointed. Um, my sisters thought I was crazy. My girlfriend at the time, you know, actually broke up with me because she couldn't deal with that. And uh, that was really hard because I didn't understand why people couldn't support me because I was clearly happier. I was clearly following something that would, was going to make me happy. But I think people are scared, you know, and, and when they're scared, even though they love you, they're going to try and protect you by trying to force their ideals onto you. Um, so I think, you know, with regards to my girlfriend who left me, I think there's some necessary losses as well that you have to take in this game. Um, you know, you have to surround yourself with better people. Uh, better people is maybe the wrong word. People more aligned to your vision because um, my parents aren't bad people. You know, they love me. And my girlfriend at the time wasn't a bad person. She loved me. It's just they loved me for a, an idea of what they thought I should be as opposed to who I wanted to be. And stepping away from that conditioning that, you know, you've got to do what your parents say. You've got to do what your school says. You've got to do what everybody around you, the media, the publicity, all of that stuff says. And stepping away from that means you're incredibly vulnerable. It means you're out there maybe doing something that goes against what most people consider as normal. And that, that can be scary, but it's also very liberating. So I've got a question then, um, because, you know, it feels as though you obviously had a lot of adversity 
from the situational perspective as well as the support system. I'm sure that you must have not only faced challenges, but had some failures. What was one of your biggest failures? And also then how did you not only recover from that failure, um, from actually fixing the situation, but knowing that you had this sort of adversity, like did you feel any like guilt or, or, or shame? How did you manage the psychological um, side of that failure as well? Yeah, it's a, that's a great question, Fed. And, um, you know, as much as I've faced adversity before, I'm still facing it today and, and everybody's facing that, you know, that's, that's something that doesn't go away in life. Um, I think one of the, the biggest adversities um, that I face is currently now, actually, uh, if I think about it, this whole COVID situation has put a huge spanner into, into the property game. You know, I, I rent, I, I, um, my tenant profile is very much uh, lower income earners, um, you know, so about 70% of my tenants can't pay their rent or can only pay half of their rent. And it basically means that all the, the pre-work that I've done and all the analysis and all the research doesn't really mean much because, you know, if my tenant can't pay, obviously, obviously the deal's not going to make sense. So it's been, a, it's been a very interesting couple of weeks, uh, very stressful in ways. So I would say right now that's probably the biggest um, hurdle I faced and, and the way I'm getting through it, I, I guess it's just maintaining a, a, a routine through all the chaos. You know, there's, there's only certain things you can control. And if you focus on what you can control, you'll feel accomplished at the end of the day. Um, I was listening to one of your guys' previous podcasts around morning routine and I love that kind of stuff, you know, so meditating every day, going for a positive walk outside, pumping myself up, trying to gain perspective and, and put to place what are the good things and the bad things in my life and just trying to get some sort of balance and equilibrium, um, reading a lot, listening to positive podcasts, watching positive YouTube um, videos, checking on, in on my coach, asking questions. So I think when you're in a time like this, probably the, the, the thing I would recommend to others is to reach out. Um, to other resources to keep you mentally and, and emotionally strong. That's uh, yeah, that's really great advice. And I think, as you mentioned, you know, like Clint and I have kind of spoken about that and we definitely aligned with that way of thinking. And yeah. um, it's, it's great to hear that, uh, that you think of in that, in those terms, because then it kind of uh, reaffirms that, um, you know, we are on, on, on the right page in, in, in terms of the way that we should be thinking about things and, and coping at the, at this moment. So yeah. maybe, Clint, what do you think? Should we, should we take this opportunity then maybe to segue into some of the other things that Lawrence uh, is involved in? Because I know that you're also a professional speaker, right? And um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about that. And, and I suppose also from that point of view, how are you managing and, and coping during the time where you're not able to do public speaking? You know, are, you, are you sort of booking things online where I'm seeing a lot of people doing that kind of thing? Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, I do, I do a, a little bit of speaking. Um, and you're right with COVID, obviously I don't get that time on stage and in front of an audience like I usually would. Um, but yeah, Zoom is great. The online world is great. I, I, I see a lot of opportunity in what we're currently in. Um, one of my favorite quotes from Les Brown is he says, a setback is just a setup for a comeback. 
And I think we're all in a situation now where everybody's struggling, everybody's fearful, and those who are willing to take action, brave action during these times are setting themselves up for a great comeback once this COVID lockdown ends. Um, so yeah, I've actually, funny enough, um, I'm probably speaking even more than I would um, normal situations because anyone can set up a uh, Zoom Skype call right now. You know, it's a lot less effort. I don't have to book out a venue or try and get people to come or do any of that stuff. I can just set up a Zoom call with five people who are interested in a topic um, and start speaking. So I don't know if that answers your question. I kind of feel like yeah, I'm rambling a bit. Absolutely. No, no, no. Um, it, it, it's good just to see, you know, like the approaches and, and the way that you're thinking about things. Um, and, and and I love that quote that you that you just mentioned now. Um, that is less Les Brown, Les Brown. Les Brown, uh, I know that uh, Clinton is also a big advocate for him, but he is life-changing, Yeah, 100%. I must definitely yeah, I have, him up. I, I have I to agree know. with that. Yeah, uh, so Lawrence told me about Les Brown. In fact, uh, just a quick story. So Lawrence and I, in fact, where I, where I met Lawrence was at Toastmasters. So I'll just give you a little bit of background there. It was, um, as you know, Fed, I've been involved in Toastmasters now for a little, little bit over, in fact, two years this month. Um, and the first meeting that I went to, Lawrence was, Lawrence was at the meeting uh, and, you know, he was, he was speaking or he was evaluating. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I was so impressed with him that um, I, 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 I had the agenda from the meeting that I Googled him afterwards. And I found out that, uh, you know, he, uh, he's a, uh, you know, he's a speaker, he's a life coach, um, you know, and all, all these, all these amazing things. And I reached out to him and I said, listen, I, uh, Lawrence, I'm looking to improve my speaking skills. Uh, so can you, uh, can you coach me? And then, you know, after a few discussions, you realize that uh, actually, you know, speaking is one sphere of your life. And actually, if you want to improve on areas, then, uh, you know, there's, there's other things that, that, that you, um, you know, that, that, that you need to, that you need to look at as well. So that, that was actually where, where I met Lawrence. And I think just from a, um, you know, from, from a Toastmasters perspective, it, it's, it's been an incredible, it's been an incredible journey. Um, and I remember asking him during one of the meetings, who is, uh, you know, who is, in your opinion, the best speaker in the world? And, you know, without, without uh, missing a beat, he said Les Brown, because, uh, you know, he, I can't even remember exactly what it was, but something about him just being like preacher-like. He's just, he's able to move you uh, in, in ways that no other speaker can. And I checked him out. And to be honest with you, I listen to Les Brown no less than once a week, um, probably more often than that. Uh, he's, he's, he's just, he's an incredible motivational guy. Um, and I think just during this time of all the challenges that we're going through, uh, something like that, and just those ongoing positive messages can help change the script that that's currently going on all around us. Uh, Cause it's mm. so important, I think, to, to change that narrative uh, from the negativity to, you know, what, what, um, you know, what can you actually look at um, and, and be thankful for uh, because there is, so much to actually be grateful for in these challenging times. It's really interesting. I need to look him up because um, I wasn't aware of him, uh, but now I definitely bit um, my interest. So I will be Googling him after the, after the recording of the podcast. So you are both in Toastmasters and, uh, you know, public speaking and uh, professional speaking. For most people, that would be the same as like taking a cold shower. It's like literally the furthest from like, what anybody would be comfortable doing. Did you guys take that up initially as a challenge or something 
that actually did frighten you and that's why you did it or sort of why did you guys get into that? Uh, for me, it was at the time working at Dimension Data, I was looking at a sales role and I just wanted to become a little bit better at speaking. Um, and then at the first meeting, I felt, I felt something I hadn't felt in a long time and it was uh, like a sense of belief. You know, you walk into this Toastmasters meeting Kind of feels at times like a like an Amway network marketing meeting. I'm sure we've all been there. You know, you walk in and everybody's like so overly positive. It's kind of like, is this real or not? Um, and it was real, you know. And I sat there listening to the first speaker, and then the evaluation. The 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 evaluation for me is what sold it. You have someone speak for five to ten minutes, and then afterwards you have someone come and give feedback on that speech. And the feedback is three things that they liked, you know, three things that are positive and empowering, like you know, Fed, the way you spoke was great, what your message was was great, and your eye contact was great. And then they give you two areas of improvement, you know. So maybe try this next time and this next time, and it just for me, it, it was a, a, an environment of upskilling and uplifting people. And that's why I got engaged. At first, I went there just to improve my speaking and sales ability. And I ended up staying for the last seven, eight years because it's a platform where people help and improve each other's life. And I think that's what's so cool about it. That's awesome. So is that the standard practice to give like three positives and two negatives? So were you always left with more positivity than negativity? Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the guy who, I know it's in Joburg, I don't know if it's all over um, South Africa, but there was a guy in the Toastmasters that I joined, his name's Richard Rich, and he did a thesis, uh, um, a PhD on the psychological benefits of starting with three positives, which then just breaks down people's barriers, it makes them more receptive to, uh, to their uh, feedback, and then the constructive feedback needs to be very specific and um, you know, you need to tell people how to improve. You can't just say your eye contact was bad. Rather say your eye contact could improve. Make sure that you point at, uh, you know, you, you choose three different areas in the room, one on the left, one on the right, one on the back. And you just make sure you filter between those three. So being very specific with your feedback. Um, and I've used that as my coaching framework, you know, ever since I started. So whenever I'm working with someone like, you know, a, a leadership um, uh, executive who wants to improve their communication skills, I'll always use the three two feedback to to be able to get them to subtly change their behaviors. That's phenomenal. I think I'm definitely going to look a little bit more into that so I can educate myself in terms of that theory. But I mean, that that's as simple as it sounds, I'd never really thought of it. Uh, but I'm definitely going to be, be taking that one on. So, mm. and Clint, tell me a little bit again uh, from, from your perspective, because I'm not actually quite sure if I did cover that before with you. No, I don't think so. I think, I mean, from my perspective, I've, I've just always, I've been, I mean, as, as a kid, I was always a, 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 um, a, a very shy kid, uh, very low levels of self-confidence. Uh, you know, I was teased and bullied for most of my school. Uh, so I, I, I always struggled in environments where I had to speak uh, and, and, and give my own opinion. And, you know, I still have the, that limiting belief to a certain extent now. And it's something I, that I still work on. I would never but, say that. Sorry to interrupt you, dude. Like, I must be honest, I would never have said that yeah. about you. Yeah, but definitely. I mean, it, it, it's certainly something that I still struggle with. Um, and, you know, I, I actually got, in, got into Toastmasters. Um, you know, I, I know I said two years ago, but I joined... Um, about 10 years ago, actually 11 years ago, and, and I joined for a couple of months and then I, I stopped going and, and then I only 
you know, took this a lot more seriously two years ago, but it was, it was pretty much to improve my, my speaking skills in front of, in front of, you know, a lot of people and, or even one-to-one. Um, cause I definitely felt that that was an area that I, that I needed to improve on. Um, and, and it had a, it had a, an added benefit of not only helping improve my communication skills, but also improving my, my confidence levels. So I think being able to do things that are outside of your comfort zone and things that you don't enjoy doing, um, when, when you, when you overcome that or when you take steps towards overcoming it, um, it helps build your self-esteem and your self-confidence. So, you know, it's something that I'm still working on. I'm still in Toastmasters and I think this is a kind of a lifelong journey, uh, to get to a, a speaking level like Les Brown. Um, but, but it's certainly something that I, I continue to practice and, and speak, um, because I do want to be, as you know, I mean, I want to be a, um, an international speaker. I want to do this professionally. So it certainly is uh, something that initially just started as simply just improving my communication skills and helping me speak in front of audiences. And now it's actually become a vision of mine to become a speaker and do this in a professional capacity. So it's interesting how initially it was, it was just a, you know, it was just like a small little thing. And and now it's, it, it's been like a, a vision that, that, that I've got for, for my life. Very scary for a lot of people, myself included. Um, I am in a sales role. I do a lot of speaking. Um, definitely feel that I could be better at it. Not quite sure if I would be ready for Toastmasters to be, to be quite frank with you guys. But I do have com- like complete and utter respect for anyone that does uh, you know, public speaking and speaking from a professional perspective. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say that... Um... You know, they did a they did a study um, of what are people's biggest fears, um, and they did this globally. And I and I uh, I remember seeing the results it was a couple of years ago. And basically, the top three fears that people had: uh, one was spiders, the other one was um, death, and then the the top fear, the biggest fear that most people had, was public speaking. So on your list of top three, it was public speaking, then death, then spiders. And basically what that's telling me is that people fear public speaking more than they fear death. And if you can conquer a fear, that's the basis for confidence. If you can go mm-hmm. out there and slowly but surely fight a fear that you know, cripples you and, and win, you, know? you don't have to do a great speech to win a Toastmasters. You just have to do a speech. You just have to stand up there and open your mouth and one syllable can come out and you've conquered something. You've done something more than someone who, who sits and wallows in fear. And I think that's maybe where the confidence element comes from is every day that you go to Toastmasters, you're out there conquering the biggest fear that you have. Um, yeah. So maybe Fed, you should try it out, man. I think you're a great speaker. I've listened to your podcast before. You seem very fluent. Uh, maybe maybe uh, you should come to our next meeting uh, when COVID ends and come show us your stuff. Might just take you up on that. Um, but, you know, we did, we did an episode on fear but in terms of the public speaking, do you, do you think that fear, I mean, it's obviously, obviously not the physical um, standing up and speaking. Uh, it, it must be like sort of, you know, the judging or what people think about you, right? Is that, is that what you think it is? Yeah, definitely. You know, we've got an ingrained um, need and desire for connection and love. You know, our, our ancestors, the, the guys who grew up on the, in the savannas, you know, they had to live in caves. 
and those caves were small and intimate. And if you didn't get along with the, the other people in your group, you were chased out. You were put into the fields full of um, animals and, and disease. And, you know, like the cave was the safe space. So if you get rejected by your tribe, that was a death sentence. So in many ways, rejection equals death in our DNA and, and how we've been pre-programmed. So, yeah, going to a Toastmasters or going to an event where you speak in public and being laughed at or rejected, you know, in our DNA is kind of like being put out to the wolves and being killed. So it's definitely driven by a lot of fear. Along those lines, then I'm kind of going to, again, segue a little bit out of the topic because, so you touched upon the fact that you do some coaching and coaching executives and um, Clint, um, you know, approached you for coaching as well. I'm aware of your background and your achievements and accomplishments, but being so young though, like in someone that maybe doesn't know your background and things like that, how, how do you approach that? Um, you know, to like, like I, I just, how do you go to an executive no, and say like, look, I'm, I can coach <laughs> you and you know, you 10 years older than I am, but I can still, you know, deliver that. You, you know, what's a beautiful thing is that with enough repetition, you can condition your mind to believe anything. And and I think um, what, what most people have done is they've, they haven't given themselves the justice to show that they can do anything. And what we do is every day we wake up and with doubts and fears and we keep repeating that and eventually you start to live within those doubts and fears. Um, so that's, that's one of the things of self-development, what I've been so addicted to is how to improve myself. Now, when I got into coaching, yes, that was one of my concerns. Um, and I started... Uh, coaching because I needed money. Right? That's that's the only reason I started coaching. I was desperate for money and I thought, yes, maybe I can help someone and they'll pay me for it. Um, and that was the conversation I had with every executive was, Lawrence, you're 24, you're 25. How can you be a life coach? You haven't lived. How can you be a business coach? How can you be a leadership coach? And it held me back for a long time. Um, and then uh, luckily I was speaking to someone a lot smarter than me and he said to me, uh, it doesn't matter how old you are, you can still teach something to someone. Everyone can learn from everyone else. And one of the things that I had to reprogram my conditioning um, was to say, what value can I as a young guy still give to someone a lot older than me? And one of the things that came to me was confidence. You know, I, I, it doesn't matter if you're 10, 20, 100, if you've got confidence, other people who aren't confident can learn from you. You know, that's, that's, uh, that, was, that was my starting product is how to help you build confidence in speaking was one of the first um, uh, parts of my, my coaching that I did. Then after that, um, I started thinking, what makes me different? I'm 25 and most coaches are 50 plus because as a coach, your whole value proposition is I've got 25 years in corporate. I've led teams of 100 plus. I can help you. And I don't have that. But what I do have is I have a fresh new approach to managing people. If you want a coach who's going to show you the same things that every other coach is showing you because they've all got the same experience, go to that coach. But if you want to learn some innovative, new, fresh techniques, I'm going to come with a completely different new way to, to engage the, the digital economy. You know, I'm going to show you how to use social media to engage your employees more. I'm going to show you how to work with millennials better because I'm a millennial. I know what you know millennials need in order to be managed effectively. So I just started looking at instead of, why am I disadvantaged? Why am I advantaged? Why am I unique? Why am I better? Why would people come to me instead of everybody else that's selling the same thing? 
And I think that changing of the challenge that I had into an opportunity to differentiate myself is what gave me the confidence to move forward. I love that. And, um, you know, I love that whole sort of conditioning of the mind. Uh, I was telling Clint that I was recently reading um, David Goggins' book, um, You Can't Hurt Me. He's um, Mm, an American um, sort of personality now who, who was a Marine and also started off in the worst possible environment um, from a family perspective and economic perspective and all of that. And what he says or what he calls conditioning demand is callousing demand. You know, you've got to mm. pull those calluses and basically it's just through repetition and conditioning. And um, mm. he was able to completely just overhaul his whole, his whole life completely. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. A powerful book. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And uh, I, I think the Goggins, uh, I think if you, if you really want to know about Goggins, uh, go, and, um, go and find out about it, like where, how he was initially found out, like how, well, not found out, but how he was initially discovered. Uh, and, and it's amazing how this person who's now become a personality, um, you know, was, dis- was, was essentially discovered in inverted commas by someone who had a little bit of fame and he saw this guy running, <laughs> running a hundred, hundred uh, mile race without any training. And he was, you know, he had too much weight on him. It, it just, it, it's an amazing story of, of how far he's actually come. It, it really is an incredible story of, of overcoming the odds. Yeah. I think um, he was on the Joe Rogan podcast. Uh, I think that's a really great episode to listen to. He does uh, do quite a bit of justice to his story. They go quite deep into it. It's really unbelievable. I would uh, recommend anyone to read that book who is perhaps struggling a little bit and uh, gives you a little bit of perspective in terms of perhaps how fortunate you are in comparison and what mm-hmm. you are really able to achieve um, if, if you're willing to put yourself through you know, some challenges. Yeah. So just to segue a little bit more, because I see we, we, we're almost out of time now. Um, I think, Lawrence, you know, you, you've, you've achieved so much uh, and, and you're not even 30 yet. Uh, what, what, I, what I do know is that you, you're a productivity master. So what I'd really be interested in is, is how do you structure your day to, to manage your, your time effectively? And, and how do you get uh, as much done in or at least you've been able to get a, a lot done in a very short amount of years. And I know that's certainly take, taken a lot of focus and a lot of dedication to working efficiently and effectively. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty obsessed. You could say with uh, productivity. Um, my family think I'm crazy. Uh, actually everybody that I told, you know, my process to think I'm crazy, but yeah, let me give you a, a quick snippet of what I do. So, uh, I start in the beginning of the year um, and I will spend about 60 hours over December creating my vision for the next year. Um, and I know that sounds like a lot of time. You don't have to put 60 hours necessarily. You can put one hour, you can put 10 hours, doesn't matter. Um, but just to give you some context as to how seriously I take this, 60 hours and I go through every single level of my life. So physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, career, my different businesses, and what do I want to achieve in the next year? And I really just spend as much time creating a nice visual uh, goal, but I also then you know, put some key outcomes. Um, there's a great study that showed that 10 minutes of planning equals the equivalent of one hour of execution. 
So if you can plan for 10 minutes, you save an hour of execution. So I try and plan a lot in the beginning of the year, 60 hours, so I can get, I don't know how many hours of execution that I save, but it helps me become a lot more productive. Then once I've got this, let's call it the year's plan on a weekly basis on the Sunday afternoon, um, I will sit and I'll look at all my goals and I'll say what do I need to achieve this week in order to, uh, you know, ultimately achieve my goal by the end of the year. Um, so I'll plan for two, three hours on a Sunday, schedule my diary in advance. So I know Monday between eight and nine, I have to do these calls between nine and 10. I have to do these posts between, you know, so I, I literally schedule my entire week in advance. Um, and yeah, before I go to bed every night, I also just again, review my goals so that when I sleep, I'm just subconsciously thinking about it. And, uh, yeah, again, as I'm telling you this, it sounds like it's obsessive, uh, but I love it. You know, I love I don't know why. I just love it. I love thinking about that stuff. And then at the end of the day, um, I mean, even here, I, I know the people on the podcast can't see it, but um, let me just show you guys for context. So here I've got my notepad and essentially I'll just between the times of, um, let me just get the right page open here. So between, for example, six and uh, seven, I will put there, read, meditate, plan my day. And then I'll put a little checkbox there and I'll tick the checkbox once I've done it. And you don't understand how much joy it gives me to tick that off. Sometimes I'll do something that's not on my checklist and I'll still write it on my checklist just so I can tick it off because that's like a little boost, a little pump. Um, so yeah, it's just, for me, it's, um, I owe it to myself to, to do great things. Um, so, you know, if I, if I look at my goals, I review it after a day and I haven't done what I needed to do, then, then I'm hard on myself and I push myself to complete those things tomorrow. Um, because I think we, we owe it to ourselves to, to do what we believe is great work. Um, so I don't know if that kind of answers your question. That's, that's 100%. my obsession. No, absolutely. I think it definitely answers my, answers my question. And I think that relentless focus on driving efficiency and, and using your time to its maximum is, is, is why you are successful today. And I think you know, people that don't uh, plan their day effectively uh, ultimately are at the mercy of the circumstance of whatever. Yeah, you either plan your day or the day gets planned for you by your manager, by your peers, by whoever's sending you emails, right? Your email becomes your planner as opposed mm -hmm. to you sitting back planning your day and then allocating time for emails and for other people's work. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I think that's a, it, it's a brilliant way of actually going about things. And, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's a guy called Ed Milet, which structures his day um, in, th in three parts. So he, he works in, six, uh, six hour increments. So, you know, his, his first day is, is planned. Um, and, and it's a full day. So he plans a full day of activity in, in six hours and then the next six hours and then the next six hours. Um, and, and he says that he's able to get three days out of one day. Um, so he's three times more effective than, you know, individuals that are, that are planning their one day, which I think it speaks to, you know, if you don't know who he is, uh, go and check him out. His name's Ed Milet. But, uh, you know, he's an enormously successful businessman, um, you know, author and coach. Um, and I think that, you know, you can learn from people like that to just show you how, you, how, how important it actually is to take control of your time. So I think that's it. Uh, one thing I just wanted to add there. Um, I think another great productivity hack is leveraging other people's time. And, um, for example, I'm currently working with a, with a company where I'm, I'm doing lead gen for their IT products. And, you know, for, for most of the time, it would have taken me eight hours to do, to do this role. 
but I found this great tool called LinkedIn Helper, which essentially does everything I needed to do automatically. You know, I just schedule who I need to connect with or what kind of demographic I need to connect with. I automate a mail and it just goes and I just run it in the morning and it runs the whole day. It does all the connections for me and I've bought back eight hours of my time. Or maybe you can look at what tasks are you doing that are repetitive, manual, easy to do, offload it to a VA a virtual assistant in another country, pay them 10, 10 rand or $10 or whatever an hour and use your time for the tasks that only you can do. Um, I think, I know, you know, we don't like spending money as South Africans necessarily, but I'd rather spend a little bit of money to pay someone to do a task that isn't the best use of my time so that I can focus more on revenue generating tasks that only I can do. Um, I think that's critical. I love that. And, I, and I'm sure Fed would appreciate that too as an entrepreneur uh, in, in his own space. I was quickly just Googling that linked helper um, because it's definitely something that uh, I'm going to be looking into considering the amount of time I do outreach on LinkedIn myself. Um, mm. And um, the, I'm going to share with you another tool. Um, it's called Crystal. Darn, I can't remember the exact name, uh, but I, I'm going to link up all of these um, sort of tools and people that we mm. spoke about in the show notes. Um, but I will send you a link to, to this tool because um, it's also a tool for LinkedIn that basically when you go to someone's profile, it gives you the full breakdown of the persona. And it also gives you an indication of um, how to best approach them. If you're trying to pitch them, sell them an idea, sure. it's got like a whole psychological breakdown and what gets them ticking. It's, it's a really interesting tool. That's amazing. And if you run it on yourself, it's actually quite amazing how accurate it is. Um, so okay. I'll share it with both Sick. of you guys. I'm quite curious to hear back um, what, what, what you think of that. Awesome. Cool. So we are definitely um, running short on time, but I did want to ask um, a couple of quick sort of, maybe quick fire questions if, if we can. Yep. Go for it. So, okay. So what is the one thing though that you're not very good at or that you are definitely spending a lot of time trying to improve over and above, obviously, you know, the, your interest that we spoke about. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've, I've got a lot of challenges. I think the, the, the key one that stands out now is um, I'm very good at starting things. I'm not good at following through. So uh, I get excited about a new project. I will jump in. I'll spend a quick couple of hours on it. And then when it comes to maintenance or, you know, a little bit of the grind that is required, sometimes I step back and I lose motivation. Um, I think that's definitely a challenge. Uh, yeah, I would say also I'm impatient, you know, so I want to I wanna achieve more all the time and finding a work-life balance where I'm not working every single weekend or every single hour of the day. Um, and rather investing in my relationships, um, I do sometimes lose that balance. Cool. Um, a lot of similarities, I must say, across the board with, uh, with mm. a lot of that you're saying. If you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would it be and why? So I'm assuming maybe one or two could be Les and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, um, the actor. Um, Will Smith. Will, Will Smith, Smith, definitely. Um, Les Brown, I've been fortunate enough to really meet, so I wouldn't invite okay. him again. But I would, um, it's going to surprise you. I would, I would invite Will Smith. I would invite uh, Hitler. Okay. Um, because obviously he's, he's an evil man, but I would love to pick his brain because he he's one of the most influential leaders of all time. And he was able to 
brainwash an entire nation, one of the strongest nations in the world to following his, his idea. So I thought that was so interesting. Um, and then whew, maybe, maybe someone iconic, like a, like a Gandhi or a Mandela or, you know, someone who was also uh, the leaders, the leaders of the world for me is what interests me. Will Smith is a leader in, in acting, uh, Gandhi and Mandela, a leader, a leader in freedom. And then, um, Hitler, a leader in oppression. I just find that so interesting. Yeah, listen, he was definitely an amazing orator and able to move a whole population towards a really crazy sort of idea and perspective on things. That's it, crazy. How you can get someone to believe in the crazy is interesting for me. Yeah, totally. Clint, do you have any sort of last questions on your end? Uh, no, no. I, 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 think we, I think we've really been able to... Um, uh, pick Lawrence's brain and I suppose the only thing I would just want to ask is is there anything Lawrence that we haven't touched on or anything that uh, you want to share um, potentially as, 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 a, as a last thought before we before you ask where our listeners can find you uh, yeah um, I think uh, I think that the closing thought and, and you know hopefully what what my message will be is that um, yeah, you get you get to you get to choose the life you want to live. And as much as we've been conditioned um, to follow certain paths, um, you know, and there's this there's a, a human psyche that says you have to follow a certain you know set of rules to be successful. I just I hope that people can sit back and say that's maybe not the only way. You know, maybe my crazy dream of writing or painting or doing woodwork, you know, could could be my dream, could be my future, and slowly just you know, investing an hour a day uh, for the next couple of months, maybe a couple of years, you can eventually turn that into your full-time activity. And, and I hope that I'm the proof of that, that starting off just by writing, you know, a couple of words per day has now turned into um, one of my biggest income streams being writing almost on a full-time basis. So I, th I don't know. I think for me, it's just believe that you can change your life and be the author of your story. That's fantastic. And I think that's a, that's a great way to, to end off. I think knowing, knowing Lawrence and knowing, you know, him talking about being an author, uh, he's just written a book, which has been published. Uh, and, and it's his, uh, a major book deal called, um, uh, you want to just give us the name and, and tell us where the listeners can find it. Yeah. It's called financial freedom through property. Uh, it just talks about my journey of building a property portfolio and really just the steps on how to analyze a deal, find a good area, what kind of strategies you can use, how to access other people's money. So really just a step-by-step -step guide and you can get it at exclusive books. Excellent. And um, right. sorry, uh, Clint, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Oh, no, I think I was probably just going to say what you were going to say in terms of uh, where can we find you on social media and uh, you know, your YouTube channel, please do share all of those with us and our audience. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty much, you can just go to my website, uh, lawrencebull.com. I'll send you the links. You can put it in the show notes and everything's there, right? You just search Lawrence Bull on YouTube, Lawrence Bull on Facebook. Um, I pretty much uh, just use my name as everything. Fantastic. Well, from my side, it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you. And, um, you know, I've got a lot of value out of it myself. And um, awesome. I definitely have quite a bit of homework and research to do in terms of um, all the tidbits and the different uh, people and tools that you have mentioned during the show. So thank you so much for uh, being generous with your time. And, um, awesome. and hopefully in a few 
quarters or months, we're able to have the opportunity to chat again and see how each of us have uh, progressed. That's it. No, thanks. And thanks so much for setting this up, guys. I've listened to a couple of your podcasts. I love, you know, the idea of just two normal people uh, sharing their thoughts on, on how to, to grow as men in, in our society. I think it's awesome and uh, looking forward to what you guys come up with next. Thanks, Lawrence. Cool, guys. Have an awesome weekend ahead and we'll chat to you soon. You've been listening to The Personal Growth Show. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe for more. If you have the time, please also leave a comment or review so we can reach more people. It would mean the world to us.